0: beautiful Lord, you caused these holy scriptures to be written for us to learn from. Please enable us now to listen to them, to read them, to pay attention to them, to learn from them and to take them to heart this morning. As we consider the biggest uh, purpose that we could live for, I pray please that you'll show us our sin where we've gone astray from what you would have wanted of us and I pray that you would call us to live for your glory and that we would see how good that is pray that we would have a big view of you this morning in Jesus name amen all right some people they live life with a purpose like Michael Clark this is from his Instagram and he said while you sleep I train while you eat I train while you party, I train. February 21st is my goal. That was the World Cup. And Michael Clark, his purpose gives him a goal, a reason to be alive. People with purpose get on with it. So some people live life with purpose, but some people live life with no purpose. And it can feel like one of these useless inventions, like a cat wig or a shoe umbrella or diet water. Life with no purpose can be depressing and i've had conversations with teenagers who wonder why it's worth keeping on living some people live with purpose some people live with no purpose and sometimes we can end up living for the wrong purpose we can end up living comb over lives homer simpson he's only got two hairs so he combs them over to pretend he's got a full head of hair So the comb-over, it's the the hairstyle you have when you don't have any hair. And in the comb-over life, there's this thing that we think is really, really important, but really it's just a comb-over. For example, lots of teenagers get really, really obsessed with relationships and that boy or that girl becomes everything. It's a comb-over. Kathy Freeman won the gold medal at the Sydney Olympics. For 17 years growing up, that was her goal. The instant that she crossed the line, she said that she was on the one hand full, but on the other hand empty because the goal that had defined her had evaporated and she wanted to run away and hide. You see, some people live life with purpose. Some people live life with no purpose. And some people find out they've been living for the wrong purpose. So is it possible for you to live life with purpose? real purpose in this passage we're going to see what God is on about and it's going to help you work out what you're on the planet for we're looking at Exodus chapters 4 through to chapter 9 and the first time I read it I was like what is God doing it's the part where all these famous plagues like sticks turning into snakes that's not a plague; that's a miracle but water turns into blood and cows die and I'm reading, I'm like, what are we supposed to do with this? But there are some hints in chapters 4 and 5. See, in chapter 4, after God deals with um, all of Moses' excuses, Moses comes back to Egypt with his brother Aaron, or Aaron, if you, some people call him. Okay? And they get the Israelite leaders together. And in chapter 4, verse 30, they tell them that everything that Yahweh said that he would do. They basically say, Yahweh the Lord has heard our cry he cares he's coming to the rescue and they do these miracles to prove it and the people are stoked and they praise God so chapter 5 verse 1 the chapter starts like this yeehaw let the revolution begin check it out turn to chapter 5 verse 1 as we read this don't forget the Lord all in capital letters means Yahweh afterward Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said this is what the Lord the God of Israel says let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness and you're like boom get the fireworks ready it's on but then in verse 2 it just collapses look at verse 2 Pharaoh said who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go I don't know the Lord I will not let Israel go. It's like if you're getting stoked about some band and then your parents are like, Ed Sheeran, never heard of him. In fact, it's worse than that. It's more like a kid growing up without knowing who their dad is. Believe it or not, this is the biggest tragedy in the book of Exodus. The people on earth don't know who their God is. It is sad for us humans to miss out on knowing our God. And it's also tragic because God deserves to be known. So Pharaoh says, "Who's this Yahweh? I don't care about him." And that's a clue to what's about to go down. If we were to fast forward all the way up to chapter 9, everything's revealed. Pharaoh, I mean, Yahweh tells us what all these plagues have been about. And here's the answer, it's point number 1 in your booklets. Yahweh is on about His glory. Flick to chapter 9 with me. Okay, This is after a bunch of the plagues have happened. So check out in chapter 9, verses 13 to 16. What's the first word? So I know you got it. What's the first word? Then. Then. Okay, chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, And say to him, this is what the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I'll send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So that you may know that there's no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. Just pause there, did you catch that? Yahweh could have easily wiped Pharaoh off the earth by now, but he's been holding back. Why? Look at verse 16, key verse. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So verse 16 tells you why God has raised up Pharaoh and put him in this position. It's to show his power. It's so that His name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Now we talked about Yahweh's name yesterday. Yahweh's name is His reputation. It's who He is, what He's like. And so Yahweh wants His name, who He is, to be made known everywhere. Yahweh wants everyone to know all about Him. He wants people to see Him as He really is. So that's what I mean when I say Yahweh's on about his glory. He's on about having the reputation that he deserves. Getting glory is kind of like getting recognition. Okay, So I didn't tell my wife I was going to do this, but let me give my wife Monique some glory right now. Okay, Monique likes to cook, which is great because I like to eat. And sometimes she goes and she buys heaps and heaps of food. And she'll cook like six different meals all of them big enough for four, and she'll put them in takeaway containers and and just pack the freezer full of them. But get this, this is the best bit. She writes a menu and sticks that on the front of the freezer. How awesome is that? I think that's pretty cool. And now, some of Monique's awesomeness is getting seen and appreciated. So Monique is getting some glory, and it's making her uncomfortable. (laughs) She's not happy. (laughs) See, sometimes humans do deserve recognition. But no one deserves as much glory as God does. In fact, since he made everything, including Monique, ultimately the glory for her should go to God as well. And that's what verse 16 is saying to Pharaoh. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's what God is on about in Exodus and in everything, even in saving us. Yes, that's because he loves us. But even more than that, Yahweh is on about his glory. Now, sometimes people will say, hang on a second, isn't that a bit selfish for God to be on about his own glory? But tell me this, if you heard that GYG's was given out free burritos, why would you keep that secret? You would want to make sure that everyone heard about it. And that's why it's not selfish for Yahweh to be on about His glory because Yahweh is actually the best thing in the world. Seeing His awesomeness really does make people's lives so much better. It wouldn't be loving for Yahweh to keep Himself secret. Actually, the most loving thing that Yahweh can do is help us appreciate just how awesome He is. And that's what He's doing when He's on about His glory. So here's what this means for you and me. Everything that happens in Exodus is for the glory of Yahweh. He is at the center. And it's so important for us to realize that God is God, not us. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for Him. So what's the biggest tragedy that can happen in our world? Lots of people would say it's people suffering or dying. But there actually are worse things than humans suffering or dying. Those are bad things. But Yahweh not getting the glory that he deserves is worse. The worst thing that can happen in the world is Yahweh not being honored. That's why it's so serious when you ignore God. Because instead of giving him the glory that he deserves, we treat him like he doesn't matter. And that's the worst possible thing you could do. If you want to find purpose in life, you need to get in on what Yahweh is on about. It's the most important thing you could ever live for. Yahweh is on about His glory. Now, do you guys see what this means as we read Exodus? If this is to show Yahweh's glory then what we're about to see is Yahweh roll up his sleeves and show off his muscles because Yahweh is about to take on the most powerful man in the world and Yahweh is about to show us his glory. So do you want to see Yahweh's muscles? Because the first thing we're going to see, point number two, Yahweh shows his glory in salvation. Flicking your Bibles back to chapter 6, And this is after what looked like an epic fail in chapter 5 and Moses comes to God and has a bit of a whinge and then Yahweh speaks. And to me it feels a bit like a pre-match interview. You know, an interview before a boxing match. Muhammad Ali, the greatest boxer in history, he used to do these pre-match interviews where he would predict how he would beat the other guy and in fact even what round he would knock them out in. Look at chapter 6 verse 1. To me, it feels a bit like that, a bit different as well. But look at, look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you'll see what I'll do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. So Yahweh saying, it's on. I will bring you out of slavery. And because it's to show who he is, he reminds them in verse 2, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. And in verse 3, he says he's doing this to keep the promises that he's made to the ancestors. This is Yahweh, the God who keeps his promises. Then look at what he says in verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving. This is Yahweh, the God who cares about his people's suffering. See, remember from yesterday, the way they were suffering as slaves, their children being killed. There's real evil going on here. And so the book of Exodus is about salvation. It's about rescue. Yahweh promises to show His glory in saving them. He says, I will get you out of here. I want you to imagine that Jono goes a bit crazy. <laughs> and he kidnaps me. All right? And he makes me work in his secret factory making weapons of world domination. All right, But then my wife Monique She misses getting to hang out with me. And so she gets her inner superhuman on, all right? She's like, rah! (laughs) And she charges in and she sets me free so that I can come home and be her husband again. Now that's in Exodus. The word for that is redeem. Redeem is a massive word in Exodus, all right? Monique redeems me. And that's the message that Yahweh has for his people. Look at verse 6. I want you to find the word redeem. You might even underline it. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is verse 6. And I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Now, there's one more thing we need to see in this passage. And you guys need to get this. What's the goal of redeeming something? Why did Monique go all Amazon and take down Jono? To get me back as her husband. Yahweh's goal is to get his people back. It's to gather his people back to himself. Look at verse 7. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you'll know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So what's Yahweh doing here? It's what John has been talking about in his night talks. He's gathering a people. He's rescuing them from one evil master to belong to another good loving master himself. And that's why this is the verse that's on your shirts, verse 7 here, because the heart of Exodus is a rescue mission. It's for freedom. And you're supposed to be like, you he's going to do it. Yahweh is showing his glory and salvation. How do you guys see God? Do you see Him as a grumpy God? As the fun-sucking God? Wrong. The most important thing you need to realize about this God is that He is a saving God. And that's so important and so good when you look at the mess that our world is in. This God is worth knowing. He's a good God who cares, who loves And who does something. And even today, Yahweh continues to show his glory in saving people. Do you know the name Jesus is God's other name? And the name Jesus actually means Yahweh saves. That's pretty cool, hey? Jesus is the ultimate Redeemer, he sets people uh, free. Not from earthly rulers, but from slavery to way bigger things like sin and hell forever. Yahweh shows His glory and salvation, first in Exodus and now in Jesus. And so guys, we want to be on mission like our God. He wants to see people saved and so should we. And I heard this morning that someone's become a Christian on camp already. How good is that? Yeah. We want to be on mission like our God. He wants to see people saved just like that. Now, do you know what else this means for us? Yahweh really cares about gathering his people, like John has been talking about in the night talks. How much do you value God's church? I wonder if you could aim to make it to 10 out of 10 weeks of juniors this term, or peninsula, if that's where you go. See, the excuses, it's cold or it's boring, which by the way, it's not. It's fun, especially if you like learning about God. Those excuses don't cut it when you see how much God cares about his people. Will you commit to making church youth group a priority for the rest of your life? Maybe even more of a priority than your parents make it. All right. So Yahweh is about to let rip. With some massive salvation. And the question is, how? Well, this is the second way that Yahweh shows his glory. Have a look at point three. Yahweh shows his glory in judgment. See, keep Exodus chapter six open there and have a look at verse number six and tell me how Yahweh says he's going to do this. I'm kind of giving you the answer there, but find in the verse and, and tell me what you see. How does he say he's going to do it? Look for the word with. Yeah, with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment right at the end of the verse. What's an act of judgment? In year three, I had to go to the head of the junior school because I wasn't wearing my hat in the playground. And I cried because she wrote me a note in my diary that my parents had to see. Or when a teacher gives you a detention at school or if uh, someone gets a speeding ticket, those are all acts of judgment. It's a punishment that says, you're in the wrong here. Now, if Yahweh's not about to give Pharaoh a detention. It says he's going to bring mighty acts of judgment on Pharaoh because of the incredible evil that he's done. And that's what the, the plagues are. There are actually nine plagues and then a bonus one. And there's a pattern to it. So I'll show you what's going on um, by going through one of the plagues. It's the flies plague in chapter 8 starts in verse 20. So you might want to flick there. And here's how these plagues work. First of all, there's a warning. Yahweh tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And he warns him of what's coming if he doesn't. So check out chapter 8, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. Secondly, it often says that God's people will be spared. They'll escape it. Have a look at verse 22. On that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. Third, Pharaoh doesn't listen to God, and so God does what he said he would do. Verse 24, And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Fourth, Then Pharaoh asks Moses to pray for him so the plague will go away. And often he also says that he'll let them go. So look at verse 25. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, that wouldn't be right. And then they have an argument. And then in verse 28, Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you mustn't go very far. Now pray for me. Fifth, then Moses prays and the plague miraculously goes away. So look at verse 30. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. And last of all, number six, Pharaoh hardens his heart and he changes his mind. So verse 32. But this time also... Pharaoh hardened his heart and he would not let the people go. So that's how the plagues go down. And all up, this happens nine times. It comes in three sets of three. So here's set number one. You don't need to write this down to say, but have a look. Uh, set number one, you've got Egypt's water turns to blood. Then frogs invade everywhere, even in their beds, it says. Uh, number three, swarms of gnats, which are like mozzies. Okay? That's set one. Set two, got swarms of flies, we just read that. Then animals die, and then they get boils, which are like pussy lumps all over their skin. That's set two. Set three, you get hectic hail coming down. And then you get locusts, which are like grasshoppers that swarm through the land and eat all their food. And then thirdly, you get thick, thick darkness everywhere, no light. From these, you're supposed to learn that Yahweh will not let people keep disobeying Him without consequences. But did you guys notice how patient Yahweh is? This pharaoh guy is just flat out disobeying the God of the universe. But the the, the plagues start out just inconvenient, like frogs in your bed. And he gets chance after chance. Now eventually it gets more more serious. And tomorrow we're going to see that it ends up being a deadly thing to keep disobeying Yahweh. It's important for us to see that God is not only glorified in rescuing His people, but He's also glorified in punishing evil. Believe it or not, Yahweh shows His glory in judgment. See, can you imagine a world without judgment? I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, a hurricane hit a city in America and it all went crazy. The power went out, which means everyone's like alarm systems went out. Now, what do you guys reckon happened? You can kind of see it in that slide there. People went insane. They smashed windows and they just stole whatever they wanted. New TV, sweet. New Xbox, sweet. They went crazy because they thought that there would be no consequences. What would you do if you knew that there were going to be no consequences? The first things that come to my mind are pretty bad. That's why it's a good thing that God won't let people get away with things. Yahweh punishes evil. He shows his glory in judgment. A preacher that I listened to called Paul Washer said on judgment day, as we see God sentence people to punishment forever, we will praise God because we'll realize how much they deserve it. We'll see maybe for the first time just how good it is for that justice to be done. That's pretty heavy, but that's what, that's what Paul Washer said. And I think it's right. It's good for justice to be done. When true evil has happened, what shows that a judge is good? Punishing that evil. And so what shows God's goodness when evil has happened, which it has? Yahweh shows his goodness. He shows his glory in judgment. Now this means something for you and me. It means, number one, be warned. Yahweh punishes evil. Now for us, it probably won't be plagues in this life. Jesus said, ultimately for for us, if we continue to reject God, it will be after death, for eternity. If If you're ignoring this God, continually disobeying Him, you need to hear this warning. Secondly, it means Yahweh is not a God to take lightly And I sometimes think that there's too much casualness in the way we treat God. Joking about Him. Not thinking it's a big thing to disobey Him. This is me as well. But Yahweh is not a God to take lightly. Thirdly, it means we should get serious about His Word. See, we've seen in this over and over again that Yahweh speaks words. Then the Lord said to Moses... And one of the best ways to work out if you take Yahweh seriously is to look at how you treat what he says in his word. Do you listen to the Bible in talks, in G-teams, on your own? Like we said at the start of the week, can you really be taking God's word seriously if you're flicking between apps on your phone? Maybe. When we go back to youth group, you want to leave that in your pocket so that you can focus. See, if this really is the Word from God, can we ever be too focused on the Word of God? Saying that we're too focused on the Word of God is like saying we're too focused on God. It's ridiculous. You can't possibly be too focused on God. So guys, make it your goal to get into the Bible every single day. Why would you want to hear from your God less than that? And when you do, because these are the words of Yahweh, you can believe what you read and you ought to obey it. Be warned. Don't take Yahweh lightly and get serious about his word. All right, as we hit our lucky last point, I want to have a competition, a wrestling match. Um, This is what's on the line, a can of Coke Zero. And I want it to be Guy versus Vince. Winner gets this. Go. Just go for it. Where are you? There you go. Here they come. (laughs) He's running away. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No, no, no. (laughs) Pin, wait. One, two, three. Yes. Vince, here you go. <laughs> well <laughs> That got real. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was a competition. That was a wrestling match. If we wanted to pitch God up against someone in a wrestling match, who could we choose, right? We actually could not find someone close enough to make it work. God is so far above the rest, he is matchless. And that's the last big point we're going to see here. Point number four, Yahweh shows his glory in matchlessness. Now I don't mean that he doesn't have anything to light a fire with. Okay, Matchlessness means there's no one else who can match him. No one else who compares. He's got no There's no one he can match with. Yeah, you got that? Matchlessness. So look at chapter 9, verse 14. We're back at the passage that we turned to in point number one. And in chapter 9, verse 14, right at the end there, it says, So that you may know that there's no one like me in all the earth. Yahweh shows his glory in matchlessness. Now, how is he matchless? Well, first of all, he's the God of matchless power. When you look at everything that Yahweh has done in this section, He turns water into blood. He turns out the sun. He sends hailstorms. He can make flies appear and then make flies disappear. Who else can do this kind of stuff? Only God can do this. Now, a lot of people would say, I don't believe in miracles because they're impossible. And I'm like, yes, duh. (laughs) That's the point. And who can do the impossible? God all-powerful can. That's what all-powerful means. If God created the entire universe just by breathing out some words, is it hard for Him to create some hail? No, it's easy-peasy. So yes, miracles are impossible for anyone except for God. And that's why Yahweh is the God of matchless power. See, I was trying to think of a way that I could illustrate this you know Um, he's powerful like what well he's not like anything that's the whole point isn't it he's got matchless power so you can't compare him to a hurricane hurricane got nothing on yahweh tornado nuclear bomb nothing comes close if you had a power graph okay let's uh let's see this um you had tornado train nuclear bomb dumbledore and yahweh okay where would yahweh be on this graph Well, the graph's not big enough. We're actually going to need to zoom out. Actually, we're going to need to go out further than that. Can we go out further than that? I think we might need to keep going out. Let's go one more. See, we could actually just keep zooming out and we would never see the limits of God's power. And everything else just fades in comparison. Yahweh is matchless in power. But not only that, He's also sovereign... Over history. Sovereign means in control. So in chapter 9 verse 35, you see a phrase that comes up over and over again in these chapters. Have a look at chapter 9 verse 35. Do you see the phrase there? Right at the end, Just as the Lord had said through Moses. As you read Exodus, you notice that stuff always happens exactly the way that Yahweh said it would. The reason is, Because Yahweh is sovereign. The word sovereign, as I said, it means in control over. Yahweh is matchless as the sovereign in control over history. And no one else is like this. Everything else in the universe happens according to His plan. Every atom in the universe is where it is because He planned it to be there. It's a bit like the difference between Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. See, Harry's got power, amazing power. But J.K. Rowling, writing the story, has power on a whole nother level. Nothing happens except what she writes. If she stops writing, they can't do anything. They only exist because she writes. And that's our universe. Yahweh is sovereign over everything in history. And if that doesn't blow your mind, the next thing I say will. Because what about us? Are even us humans under Yahweh's sovereign control? Yeah. Yahweh is sovereign in control over human hearts. Now you can see this in chapter 9 verse 12. It says, The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron." Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh and that's why he wouldn't listen to God. Now how crazy is that? God is in control over what this human being desires and chooses. God's given him a hard heart that doesn't want to listen. Hang on. How can God punish Pharaoh if God hardened his heart? And that's the really trippy part because look at verse 34. It says in verse 34, When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And I think this blows my mind. This is why you should read that book, Predestination, or if you want the Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God book. Because both of these things are true. Number one, God is sovereign over your heart. But he's in control in a way that means you still make decisions. You still genuinely decide things. And so you're still to blame for what you choose even though you choose the things that God had already planned that you would choose. And that's the big difference between God and us compared with Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. Because Harry's not real, but we are. Harry's not really making decisions, but we actually are making real decisions. But at the end of the day, nothing, not even our hearts, is outside of Yahweh's rule. All right, do you guys see Yahweh's glory in his matchlessness? There's no one like him. He's matchless in power. He's sovereign over history, even over human hearts. He's glorious in judgment. He's glorious in salvation. You're probably getting the idea that Yahweh is really, really big. He is. And he deserves a lot of glory. Which leaves you with a question. What will you live for? Some people live life with purpose. Some people live life with no purpose. Some people will find that they've lived for the wrong purpose. But can you live with real purpose? Yes. Because the universe has a purpose. Yahweh is on about His glory. And if you want to live with purpose, you can live on about Yahweh's glory too. Not just adding a bit of God to your life, That doesn't make any sense based on what we've seen this morning. He can't just be part of your life. He's got to be the biggest thing in your life. We exist to show the world how good God is. To glorify Him. To make Him known. To bring Him honour. And I pray that from this moment, you will realise that the most important thing that you could live for is seeing Yahweh get glory. Let me pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, we confess that we have stumbled and walked away from your ways like lost sheep. We haven't lived for your glory, but instead we've been caught up in foolish things. We've ignored and disobeyed you and brought dishonor to your name. We have broken your holy laws. We have not had you at the center of our lives. And we're sorry. But you, God, are a merciful and forgiving God. You promised to forgive those who ask for it. And we ask you to forgive us, Lord. Please raise us up in your power and come among us. And with your great strength, help us so that we can get rid of the works of darkness and instead live for your glory with you at the center of our lives. Through your generous grace and mercy, please enable us to glorify you, to make you known, to bring you honor. We pray that from here on out we may live godly, righteous lives for the glory of your holy name. Amen.